Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to our Friday night Bible study on TalkShoe. Glad to have all you folks there in the chat room. Good to see you there. Glad you took time out of your Friday night to join us tonight. Um, appreciate it very much. And uh, tonight we're going to continue with the uh, seven mysteries of the New Testament. And Brother David said we got down to so. And anyway, we will uh, get into that in just a few minutes. Brother David, if you would, open us in a word of prayer, brother. Certainly. Lord Jesus, we come to you tonight, and we pray, Lord and Jesus, don't for, that... don't for, And don't forget to pray for our enemies, brother, okay? Go ahead. <laughs> I certainly will. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you do your work tonight in us, that you speak through Pastor Don, that you speak through me, that you anoint us to do that and speak Speak that which you desire and that we would learn as well and that those that listen would be anointed to hear, to, te- to be taught, that they, you would work in their heart through the Spirit tonight and that you would open their, um, them up to see things in a new way and make us tenderhearted towards you by re- the revelation of Scripture and let us grow in faith. And, Father, in the name of Jesus, I come against those enemies of ours and that the plans and purposes of the divine council, those principalities and authorities of power, come to nothing. I pray that their own devices cause confusion in the camp of the divine council. I pray that the divine council fights among themselves. I pray that their foot soldiers, that they fall into their own traps and plans that they purposed for us, and they destroy themselves with their own weapons in the name of Jesus. Amen. So be it. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, folks, the seven mysteries. I may have mentioned a little bit about it the other night, but I'm going to start off by telling you this again. 
These seven mysteries in the New Testament, folks, are the foundational truths for all, for, for basically all sound, fundamental, sound doctrine. Each sound doctrine has its roots in one of these seven mysteries, the things that are taught as far as New Testament doctrine goes. They have their roots in these seven mysteries revealed to Paul. This is why people have so much trouble, all right? Not only do they have trouble because of their infidelity in the Word of God, in allowing the Word of God to be the final authority in all manners of faith and practice, which has been the problem since Genesis 3. Not only that, but they, if they don't get grounded and understand these mysteries to the best of their ability, they will not be able to come up with sound doctrine that comes out of the New Testament. They'll spin their wheels, go off in different directions, argue among themselves. That's the reason, one of the main reasons for the divisions and strifes and pride that goes on today among our people is simply not understanding the foundations, which are these seven mysteries, and building off these foundations. See, this is nothing new, folks. Now, what I'm teaching y'all is nothing new. After the completion of the canon, these mysteries were, were starting to be expounded on, and therefore doctrine was built off of these mysteries. And I'm sorry if nobody's ever told you that before, but that's just the truth. Everything I've taught y'all, every single thing that I've taught y'all when it comes to sound doctrine, it comes off of one of these seven mysteries. That's where the foundation will be. All right? Be clear about that. That's how important they are. And somebody that thinks that the Word of God's just a piece of paper with a bunch of words written on it by some pretty good men that had some ideas and they don't take the words of God literally and they don't understand that the words of God are pure and are have been kept for you and are reserved in heaven forever and that you have them, then they're not going to even understand this. They read over this stuff just like, oh, that's a, that's a neat word they just, that Paul happened to use. You change the words. You change the cross-references. Therefore, you miss the doctrine. Do you see what I mean, Jelly Bean? You see, you can't have a preference unless you line up with God's preference. And I had to see that goes against every that goes against human feeling from the right from the get go. All right. And like I said, that was the first sin in the garden and it's personified today. The final authority has always been what the question's been about, folks, what the argument eventually winds up being. His final authority. <laughs> Can't get around it. Can't get around it. It's the reason for the degeneration of character. It's the de reason for the degeneration of morality. It's the reason for the degeneration and false doctrine because if somebody had a final authority, they would check it against 
the final the final authority, and they would see they were being led astray with opinion and guessing and stuff like that. See, that's why some people might think it's a hobby horse. No, no, it's not a hobby horse. As a matter of fact, it's needed more today than it was 30 years ago. All right? It's not a hobby horse at all. Anyway, these seven mysteries. These seven mysteries. And something else that we're going to finish up a little bit on the on the uh, mystery of the blindness of Israel. So go ahead, uh, Brother David, and turn to Romans chapter 11. Okay. <clears throat> I talked right to you folks the other night about, um, we went down through there and we saw this time of the Gentiles. I made mention that um, what people taught, what they teach out there, some of the brothers, the historicist brothers and the futurist brothers, what they teach, how they get it mixed up, and I've heard, I've heard it, I've heard it from everybody. I've heard it from the scholars. I've heard it from some of the brethren that claim to be teachers. This time of the Gentiles is very important because, as you see in Romans 11, when that's over, then the deliverer is going to come out of Zion. In other words, it's be the second coming. That's how important it is. Brother Cornelius wrote me an email today, and uh, was associating it with. Um, unbelieving Israel and the marriage back in, in Matthew, which he's absolutely correct. But let me tell you this. This time of the Gentiles has everything in the world to do with the marriage, with the bride, with the bridegroom, with the marriage supper, with the virgins, all that flavor of language that you hear. In the, in the scriptures, it has something to do with this time of the Gentiles. How could it be, how could it, some people try to make it uh, 1917, you know? I don't have no problem with listening to that. Because it, when it's laid out as being 1917, it makes sense. Talking about General Allenby walking in, you know, to the land of Israel. All, all that's, that's what uh, British Israel, Israelism teaches, Okay. They teach that it's that, that was in 1917. Well, did, where's the Lord? You see, I don't have no problem listening to that stuff. It all matters. Is it is it a literal time? Is it a literal time he's talking about, or is it not a literal time? Look how many years has passed since 1917. All right. When we get into Luke. And get into Luke chapter 21, you're going to see the prophecy about the fig tree. And you're going to see the addition that Luke makes that none of the other apostles make. People don't like to talk about that. It says the fig tree and all the other trees, see. We'll deal with it when we get to Luke 21. We're going to deal with a little bit Sunday night when Christ curses the fig tree. That it'd never bear any fruit forever. See? But anyway, I'll tell you, in my opinion, after studying this time of the Gentiles for years and years and years and years, and hearing all kind of opinions by the prophecy teachers, whether preterist, 
historicist or futurist? I believe I know where the answer is, and I'll tell you where it's at. If maybe the Lord will show it to you, he hasn't shown it to me yet. But I thoroughly believe it's in the songs of in the Song of Solomon. That's where I believe the answer is. I believe the Lord's got it hidden in the book of the Song of Solomon. Not only is that mystery, I believe, hidden there, but the very mystery of salvation for both Israel and the other nations is hidden in the book of Song of Solomon. It should stand out and glare at everybody in the face. <laughs> some people don't even like to talk about that book. Some people, I've heard some of the um, some of the old teachers in the Anglo-Israel truth say, oh, like that book, it shouldn't, I understand why they don't like it. But I'm telling you, that's where I believe that this. That's where I believe the answer to the time of the Gentiles is hidden. He may show it to some of you guys. Be sure and share it with me. I would love to know for sure. But it is definitely associated with the second coming. It's associated with the bride. It's associated with the ones that are not the bride. It's associated with the marriage supper. It's associated with the virgins. It's a guy, It's an association with all those words. And maybe the Spirit of God will show you what it is. Maybe show me what we need to know what it is. That's the reason that the Lord said, the Lord Jesus said, hey, only the Father knows the day and the hour. They're in the Father's hands. Playing his cards close to his vest again. Not even the Son knew the day or the hour. I would imagine he knows now, but he didn't know at the time when he said he didn't know. This is, another, this is a mystery here that the Lord's playing close to his best, and I've told you before, if you've been through the mind of intelligent evil, you understand the Lord just don't blade everything out, else the enemy would know more how to attack. This, this thing is a widespread battle, folks, between good and evil. And you can just break that down into soldiers again with strategy, tactics, you know, uh, logistics. You can break it down in those illustrations and molds with the Word of God. And Paul understands this, and, let, and let's read the last four verses and you'll see what I'm talking about. Brother David, go ahead. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now see, you see what Paul says right after telling you this mystery of Israel's unbelief and the time of the Gentiles. Who hath known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor? You know, 
Now, I thoroughly believe that the Spirit of God is going to reveal all that stuff to somebody when the time's right. Just like in Daniel, when it said, when the angel told Daniel, seal up the book, Daniel, to the time of the end. For many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. All right? I believe, I believe the Lord's going to reveal, because he also tells you, Paul tells you, that that day shall not overtake you as a thief. We'll get to that when we get to the mystery of iniquity. I believe, and I believe, and Paul knew that it was going to be eventually revealed. See, folks, let me tell you something. You have, I, I, way back yonder, I explained this to everybody, the direction that I come from when it comes to Bible prophecy. You have the historicist, the futurist, and the praetorist. That's the three main bodies of biblical, prophetical biblical interpretation. All three has their merits, all right? But all three have their stupendous problems also. I've had the privilege and God's given me the mercy and grace to be in all three camps, study all three camps, and see the problems in all three camps. Therefore, I am a moderate futurist and a moderate historicist. As well, well, the moderate preterism goes with historicism and only the full-blown preterists are different than a moderate, than, than the historicist way of teaching. I'm a moderate historicist, a moderate futurist. Therefore, it allows me to be a pure biblical literalist. Hey, what do I mean by that? It means that I take every word in this book, and I believe it literally, unless the context shows otherwise, or either it's an absolute impossibility to take it literal. That's the position that our church fathers, early Christians, and our church fathers had for the first 400 years of church history is the literalist view of Scripture. By being, historic, by being a moderate historicist and a futurist, I'm able to be a complete biblical literalist. The historicist will lend toward allegorism. All right? They'll tend to pick up an allegory and use an allegory where the futurist will tend to go too far literal and try to explain something too far the other way. In other words, both go to the extremes. You'll be hard-pressed to find a pure biblical literalist in the historical camp. You'll notice they'll always use metaphor and allegory. Because it just won't reconcile with whatever they're, what else they're teaching. Okay? Now let me tell you something about this historic, historicist and the futurist. Which one's right? Both. How in the world can you say that, Brother Don? Well, I don't, Brother Don doesn't say that. The scriptures say that. 
And I'm going to take this time to show you where the Scriptures proclaim both of these. Both of these, and that's the reason I take the moderate position in both. To be able to be a pure biblical literalist, which the Bible tells you to do. Every word of God is pure. Tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. I'm not going to go off into that and spend 30 minutes on it. But let's go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and read verse 9 and 10, brother. Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Wait, 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 wait. Wait just a minute. Let me explain another thing to y'all. Because it's going to be apparent once he starts reading this stuff why I say this. See, the historicists do not, they don't embrace dual fulfillment of prophecy. Even though the Lord does, see. And even when they have to, they'll only take a very few mind of just use it in minute places, even though we're fixing to see that the Lord is just the opposite. All right? <laughs> and this is a problem. This is a problem, thinking that the Father's hands are tied. So what they ought to do, in my opinion is to back off, understand that both camps have their good points, and use them for the benefit, with the Holy Spirit being the guide, use them for the benefit of teaching and, and imparting knowledge to the hearers. But dual, even triple fulfillment in some cases is very possible. Okay, go ahead and read, brother. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9. The thing that hath been... It is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said? See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. You see there, dual fulfillment. It can be dual fulfillment. You say, oh, that's vague. He's just talking about this so-and-so-and-so. Oh, do you think that's right, huh? Turn to the third chapter, brother, and read verse 13 and watch him put the absolute stamp on what he's just got through saying. There's a lot of people will quote those two verses, 9 and 10, but they don't quote chapter 3, verse 15, where God gives the second witness to what he's just said. All in one verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse, which was it? 15. 15. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. Oh, God does what, brother? Requireth that which is past. Don't you imagine when the Father requires something, it's pretty important. He requires that which is past, see. The way to understand biblical prophecy is to look in the past, folks. I've explained to you all before. At one time, when historicism reigned supreme, it was, and, it, and see, it's got its true points. You can see things like in the book of Daniel that was fulfilled by Alexander the Great. You can look at in Daniel 2 and see the images there. 
of all the kingdoms and everything. Sure. Sure, you can see that. And it's there. And they think that you, there's no way to understand prophecy. This is what the historians said. No way you can understand what's in the future. It has to happen. And then you've got to look back. See, that's their extreme position. Wrong. Not according to Brother Don, according to the Scriptures. Time to turn to John chapter 14, brother. Let's see what the Lord says about this. Okay. John chapter 14, brother. Wait, uh, John chapter 16, start reading it, verse 10 through 14. 16? Yeah, 16, brother. Oh, oh, sorry. I'm at 14. Oh, that's okay, brother. It's my fault. I was thinking off the top of my head. I think it's 16 instead of 14. Yep, okay. 16 starting at verse 14? 16 starting at verse 10. 10, (laughs) okay. John chapter 16, verse 10. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father. Well, Perp, I tell you what, back, let's back up back two up. verses so they'll see who he's talking about. <laughs> okay. John 16, verse 8. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Okay, he's talking, by the way, folks, he's talking about the Holy Ghost, okay? The Comforter, all right? Go ahead, brother. Amen. Verse 9, of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all the truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will shew you things to come. Stop right there. You see there, folks? He's going to show us things to come. Paul knew that. So did Peter. We'll go to those verses in just a minute. Show you things to come. Well, the historicists don't believe that you can know that. Even though Christ, when he went into the temple and read out of Isaiah chapter 51, he said he closed the book halfway through the verse. He stopped at the comma and said, This day is this prophecy fulfilled in your sight, setting a new precedent. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, tells you that what's taking place is part of Joel chapter 2. Spoken of by the prophet Joel. They're seeing the prophecies take place at the very exact time that the preaching's being done. It's being, the prophecy's being watched. They know it's taking place then. All right? And guess what? Let me give you just a little nugget. What took place on the day of Pentecost was just seen by a minute, minute, minute bunch of people as compared to the world. Nobody in Rome had a clue what was going on. Nobody in China had a clue what was going on. Nobody in Greece had a clue of what was going on. 
Only those people there had a clue what was going on, though it was the most, one of the biggest events in church history. See, just because you don't know something and I don't know something doesn't mean that somebody somewhere else is not seeing something take place. Just because we don't see it in our life or around us does not mean that it's not true. Don't ever fall into that arrogant, prideful way of thinking. And this country is, 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 is the, our people that are here are the world's best at not believing anything unless they see it themselves. Somebody in over in England or Romania or somewhere else can say something's happening and we'll read about it. Ah, that's just them. Or down in Mexico or South America. Oh, I don't believe that. Why not? Why not give it gravity? Why not balance it? Why not check it out? Find out. You don't know for sure. But to write it off as a lie makes you the fool. Don't get caught up in that. Or a bunch of truth will be hidden from you by the very fact of thinking that you're right and everybody else is wrong. And you can use that principle in anything, and especially with the Word of God. All right? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, brother. Certainly. And read verse 9 and 10. I want you to watch this one. People will read verse 9 and quote it and shout, and glory to God, there's no way we can know this. They don't read the next verse. Go ahead, Brother David. Okay. 1 First Corinthians, First Corinthians 2, chapter, 9 and 10. Yeah, chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Most people God, will stop most people will stop right there and just whiz away with fantasies in their mind of this, that and the other and not even read the next verse. Go ahead, brother. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For Bingo. the spirit searches. Go ahead, brother. All things. Yea, the deep things of God. Amen. Now turn to Revelation chapter 19, read verse 10. Revelations 19, verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou, do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of the brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You got that, folks? The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Why? Because the spirit that indwells you shows you things to come. See, all these verses you put together... And you'll see why I take, I take the position that I take because the Word of God takes the same position. Not in my opinion. 
Let me show you how Peter knew how Paul, how Peter knew this also. Turn to Second Peter, brother, mm-hmm. chapter one, and read verses eleven through thirteen. Second Peter chapter one, verse eleven. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. In the what truth? Present truth. (laughs) Present truth? Are you telling me, Peter, that there's some truth coming and going to be revealed that's not revealed to you? Of course that's what he's saying. The present truth. What he knows now. What he's, what's been revealed to him. Now turn to Philippians chapter 3. Let's see what Paul told the Philippians about it. Philippians 3. Verse 15. See, watch the words, folks. You see, change the words, it changes the doctrine, changes the cross-references, changes everything. Philippians 3, verse 15. Okay. I was getting Philemon coming up. (laughs) Okay, Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Bingo. Say that. Even the great apostle Paul that told the Ephesian elders that he had not shunned to declare unto them all the counsel of God, tells these Philippians, if there's anything else, God will reveal it unto you. And he'll do it through his spirit. And he'll do it through his word. The spirit taking the word of God and working in you effectually that believe. You see how everything that I've taught y'all folks ties together like a glove? And do you see now why I'm always harping about the book and the belief in the book? It only works in those that effectually believe. Brother David's read it twice in the last two weeks. That's how important the words are. Just like the Lord himself said back in John 6.63, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Okay, we've got that out of the way. Now, that's why I take the position I take, because it's a biblical position. Not because anybody taught me that. Not because it's a tradition. It's because that's what the Word of God, using Scripture with Scripture, spiritual with spiritual, reveals to anybody that will just believe what he's saying. Okay? And if you get tied up in one of those camps, or the other camp, and refuse to let the Spirit of God do the teaching, the Lord will cut off revelation from you in a millisecond. Because it only works in the ones 
it only effectually works in those that believe. All right, brother. Do you have any more comments about the uh, time of the Gentiles or uh, anything else that's mentioned there in Romans 11? No, I haven't studied that this week. Okay. All right. Now we will go on to the and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I don't think we dealt with the mystery of the body of Christ, did we, brother? The church. The mystery of the body? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go to <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. Okay. And uh, start reading. Let me see. Let me get there and start, uh, read it. It started the paragraph mark where he starts talking about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's it. There's a paragraph mark there, I believe. Uh, where it says, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another. Um, there's, um, and then it goes on to say in verse 23, for the husband is head of the wife. Uh, but, uh, wait just a second, brother. There's a paragraph mark where I'm wanting you to start. I'm I'm sorry that I hadn't got there yet. Uh, my computer's slow too, brother. We've, we've got something to blame it on anyway. <laughs> okay, go ahead and start at um, verse 20, brother. Okay. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God. And the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now why is this a great mystery? You remember the great mystery of godliness, Christ, God manifest in the flesh. What this is your second great mystery? He says this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. What's he talking about? Why is this a great mystery? Turn to Galatians chapter three, brother. And read verse 28. This is the great mystery, is the leaving of 
the individual leaving of a national identity into an indiv- into one body, which we'll get to with the scriptures, not my opinion. Again, you're going to see it pop up right here in Galatians chapter 3 of why it's a mystery. This is the people out there that try to make all of Israel the church. They're wrong, period. They're wrong. You can't put unbelieving Israel in the body. It doesn't work. The national That's no. why the nationalism comes after the, Zion, after the deliverer comes out of Zion. Now you're starting to understand why that time of the Gentiles is so important and why back up in the chapter in verse 6 Paul talks about the remnant according to the election of grace. Paul's going to show you right here where the, the national identity disappears in Christ. Go ahead and read it, brother. Dear Don, guess yeah. what? I was just checking my note because it all sounded very familiar. We actually did cover the third mystery, the body of Christ. Well, I got some addendums to add to it, brother. <laughs> this is, I didn't explain why it was such a great mystery. Now I am, okay? <laughs> okay, verse 28. Uh, verse 28. Galatians. Chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There you go. There's no nationalism involved in Christ. Thank you. That's just an um, obscure verse. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. And read verse 11, brother. Okay. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, Bond nor free. Okay, wait just a second. Wait just a second, brother. Go go a verse above. Go to verse um ten or verse nine and start reading there, and then read through verse eleven. Verse nine: Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Every single name he mentions is an Israelite. Did you get that, folks? Scythian, barbarian, bond or free. Every one that he names that are in that body are Israelites. That's that's the elect. That is the bride of Christ. Go to Galatians six sixteen, brother, and read that. This is this this is called the Israel of God. You lose your identity as far as national salvation, national this, national that, once you're in Christ. That's the calling out that it tells you about in Acts chapter fifteen. The calling out of a people for his name. Well, why would he have to call out a people for his name if Israel was already his name? See? This is a special bunch. 
This is different than the other bunch, the, the proselyte bunch. This is totally different. Galatians six sixteen, brother. Galatians six verse fifteen. Six. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Bingo. Thought I was joking. <laughs> Thought I was kidding. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. That's why Paul gives the long discourse in Romans 11 and ends it with those last four verses like he did. You see? When we, it's going to be plain in Luke. How Paul, Luke starts out talking about the national promises. They're going to be saved from their enemies. All this stuff, see? And they will eventually. Our people will eventually. After the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble. Israel's trouble. And I ain't talking about the, the, the Dust Bowl over in the Middle East, specifically. Even though God put his name there forever, Second Chronicles chapter 33, verse 4, and later on in the chapter, I think around verse 16, his name is there. The people over there now are not Israelites. They're Edomites. Revelations 2.9, Revelations 3.9. All right? The time of Jacob's trouble, it talks about in Jeremiah 16, that time period when every white Christian Israelite nation is going to be under a trouble like they have never, ever seen before. Not since the beginning of creation, since there was a nation, nor ever shall be. And if you think that that's what we're going through now, folks, the historicists will try to make it World War II. They'll try to make it World War One. They'll try to say it's cause the, of the of the uh, the immigrant the the open borders and all that stuff. Spiritualizing Ezekiel thirty-eight and thirty-nine. See, they'll always that's the, they'll always run to allegory, folks. Okay, and in type, it's true. See, in type. In a spiritual sense, that's true. We're being invaded from every corner. Every Australia, Great Britain, New Zealand, South Africa, Ireland. You go on and on and on. That's spiritually or figuratively true. There's two meanings. There's the spiritual and and uh, there's the spiritual historical meaning and also the literal meaning. That's called dual fulfillment. It's not that they're coming. They'll slam their fists down and not even not pay attention to anything that's coming up. It's not that they're all. It's not that they're wicked. It's not that they're wrong. They're partially right, but they refuse to understand. And I don't, and for God's name, I do not understand how anybody could understand the technology that's going on today and what's going on with cloning, with GMO, with the changing of the genetic code. And everyone, we'll get into that when we get to the mystery of iniquity. But anyway, that's, that, that, that's got to do with the body of Christ. It is a mystery. And until that's understood, 
they'll you'll you'll run off in the wrong direction, folks. It'll wind up in false doctrine every time, and anybody that happens to know the word of God will cut it to pieces. All right. Yes. That's important. If you didn't get it all, go back and listen to the program. Write the scriptures down. Go let the Spirit of God show you. Don't take my word for nothing. I might be trying to deceive a bunch of y'all. You let the Spirit of God write the salutation at the end of it, okay? All right. That's the end of Romans. That's um, all I'm going to say about the body, about the... um, the um, mystery of the blindness of Israel. If y'all, like I said, if y'all come up with anything else, there's there, there's so much stuff there that I, I the Lord hadn't shown me yet. Okay, and and He hadn't shown anybody else because when they come up with their answers, there's so much scripture that just slams them down. I know that they're that it's not right because it can't contradict the Word of God. Don't contradict. Period. It just don't. Okay, let's go to the mystery of iniquity. Second Thessalonians chapter two, brother. Certainly. Okay. Second Thessalonians chapter two, just start reading it, verse one, brother. Okay. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that day of the Christ is at hand. In other words, what he's saying is it's not at hand. That's what he's saying because there had been some people teaching that the Lord had done come, all right, that the resurrection was past, Philetus and Hymenaeus. He tells you that in, in the book of Timothy. Go ahead, brother. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The son of perdition. The son of Apollyon. Amen. Amen. The son of perdition. You know, if you've been with me very long, that there's only one person that's called the son of perdition. And who is it, Brother David? Lucifer, Satan. No, brother. I'm talking about a, a flesh and blood man that was called the son of perdition. Oh, Judas Iscariot. Absolutely. absolutely. Judas Iscariot is called the son of perdition. It's going to be somebody in that light, in that manner. It's going to be an individual. See, the historicists and everybody, oh, they'll make this an allegory. Them, but they'll try to tell you that this is allegorical and it's talking about this and it's talking about that. Keep on reading, brother. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth 
in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The cross-reference to that is in Daniel chapter 7, folks. And it's right there. It's in Daniel chapter 7, talking about the little horn. Talking about the little horn, a person. Not allegorical system, a person. Paul tells you it's a man. And he tells you that uh, after when this apostasy comes, this great falling away, falling away from a standing position, that's what the word apostasy means, by the way. This falling away. Then that then there's going to be somebody revealed. So undoubtedly hadn't got there yet. And he, then again, he may be revealed and we don't understand it yet. Somebody may understand it. Remember what I said earlier about the great event that only a few knew and saw take place, but nobody outside of that one area knew what in the world was going on, that it would change the whole entire globe by what took place in Acts chapter 2. An event took place that the ones that were involved seen it, knew it was true, saw it happening, but the ones that are outside in a way, outside that one geographical area, had no clue that what took place is going to change the world. Got to keep that in mind when dealing with prophecy, folks. Got to keep that in mind. Go ahead, brother. Verse 5. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now ye know what which holdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Okay, this mystery of iniquity. That word iniquity is lawlessness. Not only is it lawlessness, it's wickedness because of the lawlessness. This law is not in perfect reference. It's not talking specifically, get, get me now, specifically about the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, even though that's part of it. It's talking about God's laws from the very beginning, kind after kind, the natural laws, the laws that were set down by, Mo by Noah in the covenant God made with Noah when he came out of the ark, those laws, every law. This, this, is, so, such a bad, this is such a bad wickedness against the overall written law of God the Ten Commandments, and the natural law, this going to stick out. And folks, it's happening today. GMO, the, the denial of kind after kind, the chimeras that's being made, the cloning that's going on. It's abomination to God, folks. Started with a birth control pill. Even the Catholics got that part right. But now they've done, even their fault, they fell away from that little truth that they had. None of that, it's anti-natural. It's anti-God's natural laws. Genetic manipulation. All this stuff that's taking place today. The chimeras, the, the mice, and, and, and what we know, you know, in Great Britain, David, the scientist over there, admitted, and this is out in the open, and anybody can search it out. 
They have genetically modified animals and humans together. There's a law in Great Britain that they have to kill or terminate the lifespan, the life of these experiments after 10 days. That's the law. Folks, do you know, I'm sure you're not naive enough to believe that the great multi-billion trillion dollar corporations that have their own scientists, that DARPA, the ones that, that, that funneled off trillions of dollars out of our budget, have their own scientists, do you think that their morality keeps them in to obey the, any kind of moral law when they're they're seeking something they're seeking their own they're seeking their own end that's the kind of laws that were violated back in Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 and what did God do for that he flooded the world that's what is all in this mystery of iniquity. See, most of your historians, they'll read, oh, that's just lawlessness. That means going against the law. No, 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 no. That's all of God's law. You see, folks, when you read the word L-A-W in the word of God, sometimes it means the Ten Commandments. Sometimes it means the statutes and judgments. Sometimes it means the entire word of God. There's a whole, right in the middle of your Bible, there is a chapter that's the longest chapter in the whole Word of God that's dedicated to one thing, the law and His Word and His words. Did you know that? Psalms chapter 19. The long, see, that, see if, if a person that has the Spirit and the intuitiveness of the Spirit of God, when you read through the Bible, if you did read through the Bible, you would notice that stuff. You don't see this stuff unless you study to show yourself approved unto God. See, a workman needeth not to be ashamed. See, it should fly up in here. Well, that's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. It must have some kind of special meaning. The Lord does nothing by chance, folks. But the word law can mean the Ten Commandments, the law, the, the Ten Commandments, and the statutes and judgments, or it can mean the whole book. The context will determine what it's talking about. The mystery of iniquity going on today in a big way. Mystery of lawlessness, which causes more and more wickedness to prevail. Verse 8, brother. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed. Capital the w, Lord, capital W. It's an individual. Yes. Go ahead. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. Even him. Power. The last time I checked him was a masculine, or it had to do with the person. Go ahead, brother. Amen. Working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion. That they should believe a lie. Okay, that believe in this strong delusion, God's going to be the author of it. He's going to allow it to take place. What is this? 
You've got some people that say, oh, if, when that time comes, even the very elect's going to be deceived. That, you know, you can always tell what camp some of these Christian brothers come from because the <laughs> because that's not what the Lord said. You can't find it in the Word of God. The Lord doesn't say the elect will be deceived because the Bible plainly tells you if it were possible, which tells you that it's not possible. There will be truth here in the remnant, the elect, all the way through. God's always got a candle burning, always got a light shining, and that's his elect. That's his chosen. Thank you. I'm making this up. Go ahead and keep on reading, brother. Verse 11, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Chosen you to salvation from the beginning. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And that goes right back with what I've taught you folks before. God's the one who does the choosing. I've given you the illustration of the iron side door. How you think it's you that's doing the choosing, and when you get through, you find that when you get through that door, you find out that your table's already set for you, and your name's there, it's been there since the very beginning of time. That's the paradox of the Ironside door. Anyway, this mystery of iniquity, it's not just got to do with the lawlessness of people against the Ten Commandments. It goes much further than that. It goes into the natural laws that God set forth in the very first few chapters of his book. Kind after kind, kind after kind. Every time there is a there is one he sent him and he reaffirms the race mixing. I've taught you this before in Acts chapter seventeen. He has set the bounds of the habitations of the races. They're not supposed to be crossed. Neither is the genetics in anybody supposed to be messed with. It's an abomination to God. Like I said, he destroyed a whole world because of it. And he's going to do the same thing again. But because of grace, because this, this time of grace and faith, things are just, he's letting, letting it continue on till that time of the Gentiles be fulfilled, whatever it is. And he fulfills all the calling out of the ones that were chosen before the foundation of the world. restocks, replenishes the positions of them angels, the third of the angels that fail. Once that's taken care of, then look out, the unbelieving nations of Jacob. You're in for a world of hurt. Okay, brother, let's go to uh, the next mystery, which will be the mystery of Babylon the Great. The mystery, that, that mystery in Revelation. Revelation chapter 17, brother. You got anything you want to add to that, brother David? 
No, no, I'm just sitting here listening. It's awesome. All right, I'm there. Okay, read Revelation chapter 17. Start reading in verse 1. Revelation 17, verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will shew, shew unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth had committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, colored, color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Okay. The mystery, mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Well, folks, I'll tell you something. I think Martin Luther, all the old Protestant reformers, they knew who this political whore was even back then and called and called a spade a spade. It's the Catholic Church. That's the religious arm. Let me explain something to you now, okay? There's more than one part to this mystery, Babylon. There's a political arm. There's a religious arm. And there's a spiritual arm. You could make a case for the United States of America being Babylon the Great because, it's a, because in a way, in a certain sense, she fit Wall Street and New York City fills the bill. Today, I said today, we don't know if the, if that the 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 one that holds back that mystery holds back that um the one we talked about in Second Thessalonians. We don't know when that one that prevents all that stuff from breaking loose is taken away. Some people, by the way, I didn't mention it when we were back there, but I'll mention it now before I say anything else about this mystery Babylon. That, Paul told the Thessalonians, you know who that is that prevents. Well, I wish he'd have went ahead and named it. it. Some people say it's the Holy Spirit. Some people say that it's the body of Christ. Some people say it's, the, it's Michael the Archangel. I don't know. I do not understand. I, don't, I mean, I understand, but I don't know specifically that which holds back or prevents or lets, as it says in the King James English. He led He will lead until he be taken out of the way. It, says, it indicates it's a person because it says he. I don't know specifically who it is. Either way, if I knew who it was, I don't think it would help my doctrine any or anybody else's doctrine because more than likely it's a spiritual entity. All right, of some in some kind, whether it be it's not the Holy Spirit because you see the Holy Spirit working in people during the time of Jacob's trouble. 
So it's not that. So that leaves some other, you know, ideas of what it is. But anyway, back to this mystery. Babylon the Great. Religiously, there is absolutely no doubt I'll slam my fist down a million times and say this is the Roman Catholic Church because it is. Do you know that when people in, out in the world system, when, they, when you say the name Christian, you know what the first thing they think of? Catholic. You know how many billion Catholics there are? That is the main, quote-unquote, religious group in the whole world is Roman Catholicism that has brought in every kind of wicked pagan belief. They have gone back and all the way back to Samaria, Sumeria, not Samaria, but Sumeria, all the way back and adopted all of the teaching of those false gods all the way through up till today. They're idol worship. They just... And all, every bit of it was about a dollar bill in power, folks. If you, think I'm, if you think I'm kidding, read Alexander Hislop's book, the greatest book as, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, that's the most definitive work ever done, called The Two Babylons. And it'll show you and give you absolute documented proof that what I'm telling you is true. In history. And and I'm telling you that everything that was done was not for the glory of God, uh, for Holy Mother Church. It was done for the Holy Mother wallet and power over people. That unholy whore killed more Christians in a span of about 20 years or 30 years then you could, nobody knows for sure. They admit to three million. Or maybe it's 30 million they admit to. Bible-believing Christians. Slaughtered. Slaughtered. Am I saying that a person could, cannot be saved or a Christian and be in the cat? Of course not. Spirit of God can do what he wants to working in the individual's life, see? They can be a Christian in spite of where they call what they call their self. That's the individual thing. That's the individuality of the time period we're in. So when I'm, when I'm talking about the great whore and the wicked abomination, I'm talking about the system, the hierarchy, all right? From the Pope down through the Cardinals and Jesuits, all down through there. When everything clicked, that's going to be there. She's already, folks, did you know she's already positioning herself to baptize, quote, unquote, aliens? Did you know that? Do you know that they, even had, a, they even had a conference over there that came to the conclusion that, well, when they do show up, we're going to baptize them because they're all God's creatures, you see? It's all about power and money for that bunch. The Catholic Church made an, a, a concord with Adolf Hitler during the time of World War II and played both sides of the ball. Both sides. She played. Always has done it. 
move into an area and say these bunch of half-dressed witch doctors, they believe in this certain... Well, she'll just adopt it, call it another name, make some saying out of them, bring them into the, into the fold, make sure they stay poor, giving everything they got to her, and keep them under bondage. That's what the great whore does. And the next book I'll recommend, which will tell you about the wealth of this whore, is by Avro Manhattan called The Vatican Billions. Everybody ought to read that book by Alexander Hitt, by, by uh, Avro Manhattan. And that was back in the 80s and 90s. This great wicked mystery Babylon is going to have a religious system a political system which will be the new world order and a spiritual system run by the divine by the wicked part of the divine council and I'm not going to get off on that or my goodness I'll be there for 2 hours and one will be over across in Europe and the, uh, and the other part will probably be over here if we're still in the position we're in today nobody knows how long it's going to this thing's going to rock on and on and on that's in the lord that the lord hadn't revealed it to nobody okay i I've, I've, I've watched over my um years on this earth people try to date something and it just I just ho hum and laugh because they're going to be made a fool out of because the Word of God can't be broken. Nobody knows the day or the hour. But it does say we'll know the times and seasons. And folks, we are in those seasons now. And I'll get a little bit more into that when we get into Mark chapter 13, talking about the fig tree. I mean, into Luke chapter 21, talking about the fig tree. I'll get a little bit more into that when we get down through there. But that's who this meant. This, go ahead and read the rest of it, what it talks about this, this huzzy. And I saw, verse 6, And I saw the woman, drunken with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. See and there. when I saw... <laughs> See there, folks? I mean, it, it, all the historic... See there? History, that's done happen. That's done happen. See? That, that, and they locked their mind into the 30 million Christians and all the martyrs that died under the hand of Holy Mother Church and they completely block off revelation from the Father and the Spirit of God about what's coming in the near future for the remnant, even though it's all through the book of Revelation. But no, 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 no. They want to make it all in the past. They think, they're thinking linear, folks. They're thinking linear. Did not we start this program out with God's Word telling you that God requires that which is past? And there's nothing new under the sun. Anybody that keeps up with the political persuasions of the day and they get in the newspaper and they see what's happening overseas now and this who's killing who and all the all the, the people that, you know, I, I use that word loosely when they call themselves Christian. I don't know their hearts. Not over there. I know if they profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior... God knows their heart. They're Christian then. Whosoever wills, okay? But it can't happen here. Look how, well, no, no, we're rich and increased with goods. We have no need of anything, Revelations 3. <laughs> no. 
God says you make Pastor him Doug? sick. Yes, brother. I have to leave now. That's okay, brother. Nine twenty-five. Okay. Okay. Go right ahead, brother, I'll and I, I'll see you Sunday night. Yeah, Sunday night, and I'll be uh, reading on Monday. Okay, brother. Be careful. Hope you enjoy yourself. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye, brother. But it's just like it tells you, like there in, Revel- in Revelation chapter 3, talking about the very end, the seventh church. You say, oh, it can't happen here. No, no, not in Australia, not in America. Not in South Africa, and it's already going haywire there. That's just, you know, or Great Britain, or New Zealand, or Ireland. No, it can't happen. You keep letting that bunch that's got a different culture, a different way of thinking, different ideas about food and life, and their whole culture's different, that's crossed the bounds of their habitation, you keep accepting them in, there will be a boiling point. And, folks, there will be a purging of the bride of Christ. There will be a purging of the remnant because Paul is going to present that bride. He is the best man, by the way. You did know that. He's going to present that bride without spot or wrinkle. And Christ tells you in Revelation 3, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. And he ain't talking about 85 degrees. Or he ain't talking about a 100 degree day and a little sweat, folks. See, that's the difference in believing the book, being a biblical literalist, and being an allegorist or a, or a full-fledged historicist, that's the difference. You see? That's the, that's, that's the difference in understanding that Scripture can be dually fulfilled or even sometimes in some cases when it's dealing with a nation, when it's dealing with politics, it can be a triple fulfillment. Nothing stopping it. See, all these people that say, Oh, God, don't know. I'm the Lord thy God. I change not. Is that true? See, they'll use that, that verse to justify their teaching. Totally forgetting that God changed His mind quite a bit in the Old Testament. See, that's the ones that try to teach, trying to put the Old Covenant in the New Covenant. Oh, God, don't change. Ain't Is that right? They don't know the book, folks. They know what they've been taught that sounds good to them. They can be different from anybody else. You remember back when we came out of Egypt, what the Lord said about us? He's going to kill us all and start over again. Did he lie? Nope, he didn't lie. He changed his mind and didn't kill everybody and start all over again. How about when he told Jonah, I'm going to destroy Nineveh in such and such time. Kill every one of them. Go preach and tell them. Warn them. But that's what I'm going to do. And Jonah goes and preaches to him. What did God do? Changed his mind. Changed his mind. He reserves that right or he wouldn't be 
the Father. But you notice He only does it in questionable situations. He does it in certain areas. See, if you if you understand it and you look at those areas where He changed His mind in and say, we're going, when we get to the book of Acts, and we go through the book of Luke into the book of Acts, we're going to see the same thing happen. It's been building up to that, and I've been trying to stand up flags in your mind and bring your attention to him change, he's going to change his mind again. But this time, it's going to be for the rest of church history. We know it's been for 2,000 years. And I'm going to point it out to you and show you. And if you argue with it, you have to argue with the book. But there's another change coming up. Don't you wonder what it means through the Word of God when it says God repenteth that he did this and he did that? It's not like God getting down on his hands and knees and and beating the ground, repenting. No, no, that's not what it's about. As a sovereign, immutable God, he reserves the right. It's like when it comes to election, predestination. He chooses. To let his elect have the free will to love him and gain rewards. Why? Because that will be their reward and their currency and their position in the kingdom. That's because there's no such thing as love that is forced on somebody. That's a free will choice. Even though we were chosen before the foundation of the world. Understanding that clears up all the problems between Arminianism and Calvinism. But you see, just like Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated, (laughs) he's the Father, and everything is done according to his pleasure and his will. It's not about us, folks. It's not about us. The division from let me let me give you let me show you something else before we go ahead and close for tonight. In the Old Testament back in Genesis, I'm sure you people are familiar with the story how Adam walked with God. There was an intimate one on one relationship with him and Eve. Tells you that he walked in the garden with them. What happened? They sinned. And God had to provide them. See, the Lord did it all. He's the one that provided them with something to cover their nakedness with, see. The Father's behind it again. He's the one doing it. They couldn't do it themselves. What they did was of no use. They used fig tree, fig leaves. Remember that fig leaf, by the way. Put it on the back burner. That was no good because it was by their own hands. And by the works of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, you see. Anyway, he had the personal communion with Adam and Eve. They sinned. He clothed them. There was no more personal communion. All, everything started going downhill. 
He wound up with a flood. The angels came down, added to the mess, trying to screw up the seed. Starts out with Noah on the other side. Noah gets a covenant made with him, an everlasting covenant made with him, goes right on through. Then what happens? Then I'll see all the nations, both the Adamic nations and the other ones that God created, the other races, the Mongoloid, the Negroid, whatever, other than the Adamic bunch. They're all together speaking one language. And what the wickedness of human nature since the fall kicks in again, and here they go. They're going to build a tower to God. Well, the Father comes down here. One of those says, the angel, those two angels came down, and the Lord said, hey, man, they'll do whatever they can imagine to do. That verse has stuck with me for 40, over 40 years. And that's exactly what they tried to do. And I'm not going to go into the, the truth and the esoteric truth and the deeper meanings of what that tower was. It, it, I, can, I can tell you this right now. It didn't have squat to do with bricks and mortar, okay? So how do you know that, Brother Don? Okay, let me tell you something. You know how many thousands of years was between the fall and the flood? You know how many years they lived, almost a thousand years old? Wonder if wonder if uh, Sir Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, Nikola Tesla, all these people that you know that were above genius lived to be a thousand years old. Can you imagine what they could accomplish in a thousand years working together? However, you even stop to think about it. You see, that's what was actually going on between the fall and the flood. You need to think about that one. There's nothing new under the sun, folks. Solomon wasn't just whistling Dixie when he wrote what he wrote. But anyway, the entire Bible, he messes up their languages and they go their different ways. And they go over, populate the earth and all that stuff anyway. Finally, since he puts them under the rulership of the, of the heavenly host, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy chapter 32, lets them go their way, and he chooses out a person for his name, Abraham, our father. Then he starts dealing with them all the way through history. But he's always dealing with the bunches from off out here at the side. Never walking among them like he did with Adam and Eve. He calls them and deals with the nation. He deals with the nation all the way through. Through to Malachi. And then he shows up in the flesh. Personally. Dealing with them personally, healing, doing mighty signs and wonders, healing the sick, raising the dead, dealing with them on a one-to-one basis, just like he did with Adam and Eve before they fell. Makes the way, makes the way of salvation. See, Israel's looking for the national salvation. 
They're looking for the king to sit on the throne, kick off Herod and Pilate and all that bunch, and sit on the throne and conquer all the enemies. We're going to go through that in Luke 1 and 2 and 3. But he came into his own, his own received him not. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. He started dealing back on the personal level with grace, just like he did with Adam and Eve before they fell. He walked in the garden with them. He communed with them personally and intimately, just like he and the Spirit comes into the individual now and deals with you personally and individually, just like he did with Adam and Eve did before they fell. And the difference between then and now is you have an indwelling Holy Spirit where they didn't. You are sealed to the day of redemption, and they weren't. There's I can go on and on and on. And the ones that scream, National Israel, National Israel, are blinded to the fact of the individualism of salvation today. For a period of time, how long it's going to go, I do not know. I do know this, that when the time of the Gentiles is over and the Deliverer comes out of Zion, then ungodliness will be taken away from Jacob Israel. I know that. And that's the way I interpret the scriptures, and that's the way I put it together, and the way I put it together leaves no stone unturned. And if there still is stone that's turned up upside down, I the Lord hadn't showed it to me yet, and I'll be glad to tell you those places, because it'll just be my opinion. Anyway, Brother Kevin, is there any questions in the chat room? No, sir. Okay. There's no questions in the chat room then. We will pick up with Mark chapter 11, Sunday night. Brother Jason will be with us then, Lord willing. If not, we'll still continue right on. I love you guys, and uh, I appreciate you being there so much. You don't know how much it means to me. I say that all the time. You probably think I'm just saying it to make you feel good. No, I'm, I say it because I really and truly mean it. Brother Kevin tell you, I, I mean every word I'm saying. It's a blessing for you to be there. Brother Kevin, if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer, brother. Dear Lord in heaven, thank you for the program. Thank you for the teaching. Thank you for your word. Please bless everybody in the chat room, and please bless Brother Don. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys, and we'll see you Sunday night, Lord willing.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.